Today, I'm joined by Jenny Hoyos, the veritable master of YouTube shorts. Over the past two years, Jenny has amassed over 980 million YouTube views, which is just insane, as well as has attracted millions of subscribers and made quite a splash on TikTok and Instagram as well. And as if that wasn't impressive enough, Jenny's done all this at just 18 years old. <laughs> wow. Okay, so today, Jenny and I are going to decode YouTube shorts for you, breaking down exactly how to pick the perfect topics, design mesmerizing content, film, edit, and post short-form videos on YouTube. Jenny has claimed she can make anything go viral, and I think she has a track record that backs this up. So let's look at how you can win with YouTube shorts as well. We became entrepreneurs because more than anything, we want freedom. We want to be in control of our own schedule, income, and life. But unfortunately, that isn't always the reality of being a business owner. I'm Gillian Perkins, and I'm on a mission to take back entrepreneurship for what it's supposed to be. In every episode, I'll share with you how to get the most out of every hour you work so that you can work less and earn more. Let's get to it. Jenny Hoyos, it is such an honor to get to sit down with you today. Thank you so much for making time for this. Yeah, of course. I'm excited to be on here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So it's kind of the famed Jenny Hoyos quote at this point. I think you've claimed that if an idea is good enough, you can make anything go viral. So what's your strategy on that? What gives you so much confidence that every video you make can be a winner? Totally. So I believe that social media growth is completely skill and is not luck. So if you have a good idea and you're a good storyteller, you theoretically should be able to get views because at the end of the day, people say, oh, you got to get lucky by the algorithm, but it's actually the audience. Replace algorithm with audience and you, you will succeed. I know it's like such a cliche thing to say, but it's true. So I'd say the most important thing is just focusing on storytelling. And if you can master storytelling, you can blow up and make anything viral because at the end of the day, people love stories. People have been telling stories for years now, and that's never going to change. So you can make anything viral as long as you know how to tell a good story. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. I think so often people get caught up in trying to game the algorithm and they think that they need to somehow figure out how to trick the algorithm into showing their content or figure out how the algorithm works so they can hack it or something like that. But really, the algorithms have been built to respond to user signals. And so if you can get people, real people, to engage with your content, you know, to like your content, to watch your content through, to watch it repeatedly, to share it, things like that. That really is what will make it grow. That's what will make your numbers go up. That's what will make your content go viral, right? It's way more about the people than it is about the algorithm. The algorithm is just kind of, I think, like the in-between, the mediator between us and the people. So I really want to get into story with you today and talk about how to put together a good story, especially in the span of only 30 seconds or so. But before we get into all of that, I would love to know kind of your like reason why. Why YouTube Shorts? Out of all the platforms you could have chosen, and there are obviously a lot of them, why did you settle on YouTube Shorts as the place to like put your stamp? Yeah, totally. So growing up, my childhood dream was to become a YouTuber. Um, and I know it's so cliche, but I really wanted a play button. And that's actually why I got started on YouTube. But now that I've accomplished that, like 
why am I still creating content focused on YouTube Shorts? Well, that's because I believe that YouTube is the best social media platform or best platform from content creators, in my opinion. The reason I say that is because one, YouTube Shorts has the best monetization, has the best support team, and it has more data available to view and analyze compared to any other platform. I know for a fact, and I could feel it as a creator, that YouTube is setting me up for success and longevity, unlike other platforms that hide these analytics or don't really feel like they're there for the creators, but they're for the money. You know what I mean? Totally. I mean, I really couldn't agree more. That's why I have chosen also to primarily build my brand on YouTube. I think it's really important as a business owner, because that's kind of always where my mind goes. I'm an entrepreneur. I focus on business building strategies, those sorts of things. I think it's important that we also build our audiences off of social media. So for example, like growing an email list and things like that. But when it comes to social media, YouTube is what I have decided to make my home base because compared to, like you were saying, other social media platforms, they just give us so much data. The analytics are so excellent. We have a really unique opportunity to connect with our audience. And that just gives us so much power as creators. Okay, so I have six big topics that I want to get into today. I don't know how deep we'll be able to go with each one of them because there's a whole lot we could cover, but I'm talking about like choosing video topics, scripting, filming, editing, posting, and continually improving. But before we get into any of those details, let's zoom out for a moment and talk about the big picture. Big picture, what would you say makes a good short? Yeah, it's a very broad question. But I would say a good short is one that resonates with your audience. Of course, everyone has different viewing behaviors. That's why we're all in different niches. We're all doing different things. But to me, I would say a good short is one that has a really strong hook that not only stops your scroll, but also gets you to watch till the end of the video. And you do that by getting straight to the point and giving the viewer that value proposition that they are going to get by the end of this video, followed by having continuous progression in the sense that every line must progress the video. The video should always be going up And the video is always progressing instead of like, for example, a bunch of people say, this is blank. And today we're going to be doing this. Like, that's just like stale. There's no progression. You're just saying a statement as opposed to saying, I'm going to be doing this. You're instantly getting right into the action and you're telling the viewer you're doing this, the value proposition, and you must have continuous progression and not too much context. In my opinion, of course, it depends on the type of video you're making. Okay, so clearly there's a ton to unpack there, right? Yes. Oh, no, no, there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> Broad strokes, I'm getting three main things. The first one was something that was almost like a side note, like you have to know your audience, right? If you don't know your audience, then you're not going to be able to win at this. And I think that's so important because shorts, I think a lot of the time when people go into shorts with a strategy, they are thinking like, how can I make this go viral? So they're immediately going with like the scattershot approach, like going really broad, but really they are going to see the most success if they can choose a specific type of person that they want this short to appeal to. We'll get into that more in a minute here. But the second thing I noticed was hook is super important. I think we all know that at this point, but I'd love to talk more about exactly what that means, how to craft a great hook. And then the last thing was basically pacing. If I had to sum it up, pacing, we need to keep the thing moving along and keep people interested. Okay. So Again, so much to unpack there. Let's move on to my first big topic, which is choosing short video topics. What does your strategy look like on this? How do you come up with ideas? And then how do you decide which one to actually make into a video? 
Totally. So I come up with video ideas everywhere. You kind of just have to like take inspiration from anywhere and everywhere because you can get inspiration anywhere. So for one, I would look at trending topics that's trending on YouTube, Google Trends. And then I'll also use AI, describe what your channel is, your values, your goals, your mission statement, and then tell us to come up with video ideas. And then also just random things that happen in my life. I try to be my avatar and I recommend that you try to be your avatar as well or know your avatar and think like what happens in the daily life of your avatar and make a video around that. That's one of the best ways to come up with ideas. But now you're probably gonna have like hundreds of ideas. Which ones do you pick? Well, for me, my order of selection is one, am I passionate about that idea? And if I am, it goes next to the, the next filter. Does it fit my channel branding? So for example, I make videos on saving or making money. It would not fit my channel branding if I did a tutorial on how to cut my dog's hair, right? So make sure it fits your channel branding. And three, that it actually resonates with your audience and your avatar. That's the way I like to think about it. And from there, I will also send it to friends, family, my team to like get some extra thoughts. How are you differentiating between that second and third filter? The second one being like, does it fit within your topics? And the third one was like, would it resonate with your audience? Talk me through that last question a little bit more. Okay, great. Yeah. So for example, I've had this idea where I made money doing Uber Eats and that would fit my channel branding because I do side hustles making money content. However, my specific avatar is actually a middle schooler, meaning they cannot drive and they cannot do Uber Eats. My avatar is that kid in school who's selling candy, not the kid that's selling things on Uber Eats. So it fits the channel branding, but does not resonate with the avatar. I see. So it needs to fit both topic-wise and then also fit that avatar. I get it now. That makes sense. Um, I also really liked how you talked about how you see yourself or you try to be your target avatar or your target market, your target viewer there. Um, I think a lot of the time people get in their head about creating the avatar for their business or for their content. And they imagine all sorts of imaginary things about this person. So like they know their topics, they know, you know, maybe they're talking about saving and making money, but then they're like, I'm going to make content for uh, men in their 40s who live in Colorado or something weird like that. And they're not that person. It's so much easier to just be like, I'm going to talk about this topic for people like me. Right. And then it's like, OK, I'm a woman in my 30s and I am a mom. Right. That's me. Right. So if I'm thinking about my audience, well, I'm going to make content about, in my case, about entrepreneurship and digital marketing and online business for moms in their 30s. And then I can just like gear all my content toward that avatar. That's the most natural thing for me to talk about anyway. So it's super easy for me to like stay on brand. So I love that. That's brilliant. Totally. So what would you say are some mistakes that you've seen people make when trying to come up with ideas for shorts? Is there anything that kind of sticks out to you? Not brainstorming enough. Sometimes you'll think you have a good idea, but it's only good because it's the only one that you're looking at. So you want to have multiple good ideas to pick from, because if an idea stands out from all the good ones, then that's how you know it's a great idea. So simply just brainstorm a bunch. Like, it's so cliche. It's so simple, but yeah. Have you been listening to me, Jenny? Because I say that all the time, too. That's oh, awesome. really? I, uh, yeah, I always tell people, like, especially even before you start your channel, that I challenge them to come up with at least 50 video ideas in their niche 
or for like the channel that they're imagining to have like a big bank of content ideas to start with so that like you were saying, like you can kind of pick the best instead of just going with the first idea that you think of. You have a lot of ideas to choose from so you can really find the best ideas. You'll come up with much better ideas that way. And also I find that the reason a lot of people end up quitting YouTube is because they quote run out of ideas or run out of good ideas. And so I think that they can prevent that problem entirely by just writing down every idea they have, whether it's good or bad. Just write down every single idea and then filter later on. So they have this big bank and they always like feel like really abundant when it comes to video ideas and like, oh, there's so many things I can make a video about. Yes, exactly. I love that. I have a list of a thousand ideas. Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. That's probably more than I've heard anyone else say that they have. Like I definitely have lists of hundreds of ideas, but a thousand of ideas is just crazy. At one point I was like brainstorming every day. I was brainstorming about like 10 ideas every day and like eventually it adds up. So that is a great exercise. I think everyone should do that, especially if this is like something they struggle with at all. Like they feel like there aren't enough good ideas. Just do that every day and like it will expand their mind. It's a muscle. For sure. Okay, let's shift a little bit to talking about like schedule of shorts. Do you think that there is any science to how frequently you post shorts if you want to grow? I don't think there's a science at all. I believe that you should post as often as you can while still having good quality. I wouldn't spend too much time either. Like I I would say if you're spending more than one week on a short, that's like way too much time. But if you believe that you can post daily and still have good quality, post daily. But if that's weekly, then do weekly. I don't think that there is a special science. As long as you're making good videos, you will get views. But I recommend at least once a week. So you have like data to pull from, you know, if you're posting once a month, you're not going to have like analytics or data or comments to read to make sure that you're on the right track, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And also going back to like, it's really the people, not the algorithm. If you only make one short a month, that's not going to be frequently enough for people to get to know you at all and even remember you. So when they see another video from you, it'll be like they've never heard of you before. And I think you really get a ton of momentum from people getting to know you and then you becoming like a familiar face to them so that when they see one of your shorts pop up as they're scrolling, they stick around because they're like, oh, I've seen a video from her before and it was good. Even if they're just thinking that subconsciously. Yes, exactly. Because shorts are really short. You know, like I have people who have seen like, six shorts, like looking at my analytics, like I have my average view per viewer is like three to six and like, they're not even subscribed. So the fact that like, they see me like six times and they still haven't subscribed shows that like, they need like to see a lot of shorts to like build that deeper relationship. Oh, that brings up something I'm curious about as a primarily shorts creator. I know you make long form videos now too, but you know, you got most of your views from shorts. What does your analytics look like in terms of your percentage of views from subscribers versus non-subscribers? It's nearly like all non-subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm not surprised, but that's okay, right? As because people are watching your videos over and over again. Like you were just saying, like that you can see that each viewer watches at least three to six of your videos. So they're coming back for more, even though just the way TikTok and Instagram shorts feeds are set up, it doesn't really encourage people to click that subscribe button. Totally. Yeah. So like on my channel, I have 1 billion views, but only 1 million subscribers. It's like a 0.1% is what I'm saying. So the, the conversion's not high, but as you were saying, returning viewers is actually what I care about the most because returning viewers shows me that I am targeting a specific avatar. And I have like 10 million returning viewers per month. And 
that shows that I am reaching the same avatar and they are actually returning. And that's what matters much more to me because I know eventually they will subscribe. And subscribers is just a vanity number as well. So, <laughs> you yeah. know. It is. That's so true. Yeah. And it's also interesting, like you having built your channel with shorts, how that like skewed your metrics in that way. So for example, you have about a billion views, which is just insane. Like how even, right? But only a million subscribers, again, only a million subscribers. So that's like what, like 1% of the number of views and subscribers? Like 0.1%. You're right. It is 0.1. Okay. So 0.1. Me, on the other hand, I have like 30 million views, you know, nothing compared to your billion, right? 30 million views. Actually, it might be like 40 million now. I don't know. Anyway, something like that. And then nearly a million subscribers. And so I have like 3%-ish of my views became subscribers, if I'm doing my math right at all. I might be getting this way wrong, but I think it's something like that. The conversion's much better. <laughs> Well, yeah, but I'm not trying to say like my strategy was better. I'm actually kind of saying yours was really cool because you got so many more views for each subscriber, which is awesome, right? There's good things about both sides of it. And I think that this is one place where the algorithm does really come into play. Like we're talking about how the people are really what we need to be like playing for instead of the algorithm. Like we don't need to try to play the algorithm's games, but we do need to think about the fact that like, Thank you to the algorithm for showing Jenny's videos multiple times, like to the same people, even though they didn't subscribe. Like the algorithm was really helpful there, right? Yes and no, actually. Oh, yeah? I want to argue that, yes, it was helpful that the algorithm did that, but it was actually because I forced the algorithm to do that, especially through buckets. So I actually gained a bunch of returning viewers because I made buckets, which is like series. So the theory behind buckets is you want similar format videos where, again, you follow the same format. So the script is very similar and the title is nearly identical and all the other metadata is very similar so that you made it easy for the YouTube algorithm to be like, oh, if they like this video, they're going to like that one. So like for me, I do a lot of cooking videos. So if they liked me cooking a pizza, they're going to like me cooking a taco, cooking a burger, because it's very easy. All the metadata is so similar and linked together that the algorithm can easily recommend those videos. And I think that's like thanks to the algorithm, but also like you want to make sure that you are actually metadatically, I don't know what the word is, like <laughs> linking videos, you know? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So it still sounds to me like the algorithm was helpful though, because why I'm saying the algorithm was helpful to you was because that person didn't choose to click subscribe. And so then if the algorithm hadn't showed them another one of your videos, then they never would have found you again amidst like all the billions of videos that are on YouTube. But because the algorithm was like, oh, that person watched that video all the way through. This is me being the algorithm. That's totally how the algorithm talks. Oh, that person watched that video all the way through. They probably want to see another video from Jenny, especially another video about Jenny cooking something else. So I'm not at all saying it was all the algorithm. It was totally all you. The algorithm helped a little bit, right? <laughs> Yeah, because the algorithm understands your behavior. If the viewer didn't enjoy the video, it's definitely not showing them the video again. Right. What do you think the most important metric when it comes to shorts getting recommended is? So is it like the fact that someone watches it all the way through? If they watch it multiple times, is there any other factors that are the most important, you think? Uh, there's the top three. There's my top three, and I want to say the three. So number one is retention. Overall, I just want to say, Viewer satisfaction is the most important thing. The algorithm is looking for viewer satisfaction. So just because you get a specific percentage or number doesn't mean the video is going to go viral. 
You want to target viewer satisfaction, but viewer satisfaction can be found in retention, rewatchability, which is basically average views per viewer on that short, as well as subscribability. That's what I believe. So you think those are the three primary indicators that the viewer was satisfied? I'd say so. Those are the three primary indicators. Uh, based on the data that we've done, we put it like onto a bunch of like, Excel sheets and formulas, and we've even done a Pearson correlation to each individual thing. So then we can see these variables and we've even like tried to separate the variables. And that from what we found, we have the best Pearson correlation with those specific metrics. Mm-hmm. Well, you answered my next question before I even got to it, which was like, how have you determined that? Is it just like a feeling you have? But you know, you've done the <laughs> research on at least your videos. Have you analyzed any other channels' videos as well? I know obviously when you analyze other channels' videos, there's a lot you can learn, but it's also very limited because you can't see their analytics. You don't know necessarily like what their retention is and things like that. But what does that look like for you? Yeah, so I used to analyze a bunch of other people's videos by just going onto their channel and, you know, just watching their videos using AI to dissect it as well to help me. But nowadays, I just, I make friends, I analyze their videos and ask for their retention graphs and their data. Like, I feel like like right now, like the growth has been exponential by like simply becoming friends with them and asking for their data. But if you can't do that, definitely just like watch the video and try to figure out yourself. I love that. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. On the one hand, it kind of sounds terrible. Like you're just making friends with them so you can see their analytics so that you can win. But (laughs) no, we we exchange data and we help each other. Yeah. But I love how savvy that is. And also, this is something I've learned as well, that the more you collaborate with others in like your same niche, even the more it tends to help you grow way more than just being obsessive about the analytics. And like, I've totally done what you're talking about too, running other people's videos through AI. I'm trying to think what the tool that I use to do that is called. I can't remember what it's called. Do you remember what the tool you were using to do that was? I use harpa.ai. Harpa.ai. Okay. Yeah. That's a different one than I was using for sure. But so basically the idea here, just for everyone listening is that at least this is what I would do. I would take the video and there are tools that can basically like watch the video for you, their AI tools, and then they can transcribe the video and they can break it down into chapters for like time stamping. And so then I could go through and I could look and I could see how other people's videos were structured and what different topics they covered in their videos and things like that. Was there anything else that you were looking for, Jenny, when you did that? Analyzing comments. Oh. So most importantly, like I would have the AI analyze the comments and then let me know like if I was to recreate this video based on the comments, what would have made this video better? And I think that's huge because then you learn like what you should do. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's super clever. I've heard people doing that with like Amazon products, for example. So if you want to get an, I'm sure like since you research making money and things like that, you've probably run into this too. But if you want to get a product to rank on Amazon, you need to look at the similar products that are already on Amazon and read through the comments there to see what complaints people had so that you can make your product better. And that's a really easy way to like outdo the competition there. Okay, let's move on to talking about how you actually script your shorts. You mentioned it starts out with a good hook. Is that where you start when you are thinking about scripting? What does your process look like for scripting a short? It always starts with a hook. So I try to think of the best hook. And sometimes you might have to change the idea just because like the hook matters so much more. So when I think of the hook, again, I try to stop their scroll by like having like a power word in the beginning. So I want to start with like free or save money, or just like the first word should literally tell the viewer they are going to get value. 
So when I'm scripting, that's the first thing. I make sure the first word is going to get value. And if it's not the first, one of the first words. And then also I try to think within the hook, how can I make the viewer know what they can expect by the end of the video? So one of my favorite hooks is, what does $10 get you in Miami? So not only does it tell you what the video is, what does $10 get you in Miami? It also tells you that the video ends when I spend $10. So you have a perfect expectation of the video. Um, and basically like I'm hooking and foreshadowing at the same time. Yeah, I love that. And I think that honestly, like that's what a good hook almost always is going to do. Like you're hooking them in because of what you're telling them is going to happen later on. Yes, exactly. How long do you think a hook should be or how long do you typically go for? And how did you settle on that length? No more than three seconds. Honestly, it's a feel thing. There's no, what's interesting is I don't break hooks up into seconds. Rather, I look at the statements. So for example, what I mean by that is when you script your videos, you want to see like how many times there's pacing breaks. And the most important thing is sometimes I don't even care how long the hook is. Like, of course, if it's longer than three seconds, that's way too long. You just want to make sure that there's like a smooth, no break in pace. The video is just like flowing through. So the most important thing is flow. There's no magic number. I wish I could just say a magic number, but you know, you just want to say it as short as possible. There are lots of things that there's not a magic number for, right? Lots of things that it depends, right? But I think like roughly three seconds gives a really good idea. Like it kind of gives an example of the sort of length we're going for. Like, are we going for three seconds or are we going to for 10 seconds? We're going for three seconds. But basically it sounds like it needs to be like one short sentence. Would you say that's accurate? One short sentence that is still enough to hook the viewer. Sometimes people would like make a really short hook and it's like, I don't even understand what the video is about. Just make sure the viewer has a clear expectation as long as it takes to give them a clear expectation, basically. And so I know hooks are really important. So I want to spend just another minute or so here. You gave an example of what you consider to be a really good hook. What does $10 get you in Miami? For someone who's right now just like thinking, but wait, how do I write a hook? Where do I start sort of thing? Could you give them any more guidance, either a few more examples, or do you have any like go-to formulas you use or anything like that? My number one go-to formula is questions. So when you ask a question, the viewer knows that they're going to get something by the end of the video, but then you're also making them think about something and now they're curious. It's like questions are the best, in my opinion. So try to think of, can you ask a question? And if you can't, try to think of how could I put power words in the beginning? So like I said, uh, free, save money, whatever, that's going to like attract that avatar. But also credibility sometimes helps. So it's like saying a statement and being like, learn from me as a therapist or as a billionaire or, you know, showing some sort of credibility. Those are my favorite types of hooks. Okay. Or what about something, tell me if this meets your approval standard, where you like make a statement about something being possible and then you say, and I can prove it. So like, I bet I can make $50 in just three minutes. Watch this video and I can prove it or something like that. Would that be good enough or would you, how would you change that? I feel like it's too long right now. It's probably too long. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a long form hook, <laughs> not a short hook. When it comes to shorts, you just got to say the first thing that progresses it. So it's almost like in your example, you did the, this is X and I'm going to show you as opposed to, I'm going to show you X. 
Okay. So the biggest challenge, it seems like almost is like, once you have this idea of what you're going to accomplish in the video and the like credibility you're giving, but like, how do you make it super, super short? So it is only one short sentence. Cause what I said was probably like three really short sentences. <laughs> yeah. As short as possible. Okay. And I'm sure that that's really a skill. Like we were saying, like you need to like exercise that muscle, right. To develop that skill. So have you practiced writing hooks a lot also? Yeah, lots of hooks. Every video I write at least 10 hooks. And then I also send it to my data analyst slash strategist who's actually like doing all these data things and actually knows what is statistically working. And then he will like, just like break it down and explain to me why it doesn't work for me to know how to improve it. Okay, so this is a little bit of a side tangent then, but I'm curious your relationship with your data analyst or strategist what is that like? How did that start? How did you find someone who is like qualified enough to be able to help you at this level? Yeah. So he just started like a month ago. <laughs> so like he started editing my videos about six months ago and he ended up becoming passionate about like analytics and data. And on his free time, he was just like, oh, I'm just going to like export your data and like just like you know analyze the analytics because he was just naturally curious. That's the key thing, just finding someone who's really passionate about what they do. And someone who's passionate always beats someone like who isn't, right? So yeah, he, he literally just did it on his free time, but now it's just a thing that we do now. Yeah, that's cool. I love how it just like naturally grew, right? It wasn't like something you tried to force or you went out there and tried to find like a strategist who was brilliant or something, but you like took it stepwise. That makes a lot of sense make good money making fun videos? I know, sounds too good to be true. But four years ago, I started my own channel. And in less than six months, my husband and I quit our day jobs, sold our house, traveled to Europe for two months, and then came back and bought a new house. And that was all financed by, you guessed it, my YouTube channel. I know this sounds crazy, but I also know I'm not the only one. There are literally millions of people supporting themselves from YouTube. And they do it by making videos about every topic you could possibly think of. Cooking, cleaning, art, makeup, career advice, real estate, cats, books, and even just reacting to other YouTube videos. If you want to learn more about how this works and how you can get a piece of the action, then check out my free on-demand workshop called Three Secrets to Reach 1,000 Subscribers and get your channel monetized in just three months. Because that's the truth. If you know how the platform works, you don't have to wait years for your channel to grow. You can start getting views from day one, be making money in as little as three months, and be on your way to making a living as a creator before you know it. Sign up now for this free on-demand YouTube training by heading to gillianperkins.com slash YouTube training. Again, that's gillianperkins.com slash YouTube training. And of course, you can find that link in the show notes as well. I can't wait to teach you how to start your own successful YouTube channel and start earning a living as a creator. Okay, let's move along and talk about how you film your shorts. So broad strokes, do you film them in the order that people are going to watch them? Like, do you film them chronologically? What does that look like? Yep, I film chronologically. But sometimes we will uh, rearrange the story just like so it could be like funnier or make more sense. 
usually in my videos, I'm showing a journey and character development. And if we're messing around too much and like rearranging and not doing things in order, then there's no character development and you don't see character growth. It's like all getting rearranged. But for storytelling type content, it does, I'd say it does need to be in chronological order, which is why I do that. And how long does it take you to film a short typically? It takes me about an hour. Oh, not long at all. Yeah, no more than an hour. Yeah, not that long at all. It depends on the short, but majority of the shorts, it takes no more than an hour. Some of my my longer ones can take up to like three hours. I like to film my shorts like long forms is the way I like to explain it. What do you mean by that? So, I mean, I mean, in so many ways. So I only make a short if I think it can go viral in long form. Because if it can go viral as a 10-minute video, imagine how viral it would be as a 30-second video. Because it shows how much effort you went. Like, people would comment and be like, you realize she just, like, did, like, this whole thing just for a 30-second video? And, like, my family says that, too. They're like, why are you doing, like, this whole production or, like, this whole thing for it to just be a 30-second video? And that's my perspective on it. Is there any other way in which you film your short videos like a long-form video? Honestly, lots of talking. I don't know. I lose my voice by the end of it. And it almost feels like I filmed a long form and then it ends up being a 30-second video. Because <laughs> you have a lot of things to use. Oh, so you just like end up cutting down a whole lot. Who ends up making the editing decisions? You or your editor? My video editor. I video edited my videos for like the first year of my channel. But I ended up like hiring him because, you know, of course I wanted to scale. And um, he's just a storyteller. That's a big tip. If someone's going to hire an editor, don't hire a video editor. Hire a storyteller. How did you find a storyteller? We were already friends, but it's kind of tough. We became friends in Creator Now. There's lots of talented storytellers in Creator Now, which is like a program for like people who want to learn like YouTube. So there's a lot of creators, but also a lot of like script writers, editors. And oh my gosh, it's like a free promotion. I, but I'm just saying like I made a lot of friends and, and met a lot of people through Creator Now who've helped me. Yeah, that's awesome. So you only have worked, like you edited your videos for the first year and then you've just worked with this one editor since and it's just been a great fit? You didn't have to try out a bunch of people or anything? Oh gosh, I had to try out so many people. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, it was terrible. I've probably trialed like at least 25 people, like trialed as in like we worked together for like a week and then it didn't work out. It's very tough to find an editor. And I will say the biggest tip to finding an editor is it's so cliche. Everything I say is so cliche, but it's so true. I was looking for someone who is a great editor, incredibly talented. When you watch the video, you're like, wow, they're great. But then for some reason, you guys don't get along. They don't want to listen. The relationship is not there. They're doing it for money. They don't want to like better themselves. Like it was always a different problem every time. So when I stopped looking for someone talented and I started looking for people who were passionate, and the editor that I hired had little to no experience. I didn't even like the videos that like he's edited, but I saw the passion because I was friends with him and I knew like he is going to be very talented because I see the potential. And, you know, here we are today. And he is, I think, one of the best editors on YouTube going to win a streamy, like if not next year, the year after, <laughs> you know. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I kind of ended up doing the same thing after I ran into very similar problems with a lot of editors I tried. And the editor who I'm using now, she's someone who I hired locally. I actually just hired her to be my local assistant, like my office assistant. But then she was like really good at communication. So she actually understood what I wanted her to do. And she's smart. And so she was able to like learn how to edit the videos. 
And she's like come so far. So that's been really cool to watch. Um, one more question about you filming your videos. How much help do you have? Do you do it all by yourself or do you have someone helping you? Yeah, I film all the videos by myself, but I will say transparently, my parents do help a lot in the sense of like just balancing ideas and like preparing the shoots. Like it seems so funny. Like, yeah, maybe I'm only filming for an hour, but sometimes to set up like, you know, the area, clean the house, make sure the lighting's good. Like that does take some time. So, you know, um, they'll be there and give a helping hand. Yeah, that's really nice. I know that when I film YouTube videos, the same thing happens, especially if I want to shoot anything in my house. I know you know what I'm talking about. You like pull up the camera and you try to frame it up and you're like, oh no, everything is a disaster. Like my house looked fine until I pulled out the camera, right? And then suddenly you realize you have to clean your entire house, except maybe not like, you know, the kids' bedrooms or something like that. You know, maybe not clean the bathroom, but like the living room, the kitchen, because my house is like open concept. So it's like the kitchen, living room and dining room are all one big room. So if any of that area is messy, then it just like ruins the whole video. So whenever I shoot B-roll in my house, because normally I just like sit at my desk when I'm shooting the A-roll for the video. But when I have to shoot B-roll, then yeah, I need to spend an hour cleaning first. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> when people say YouTube is a full-time job, what they really mean is that they have to spend a lot more time cleaning than they would otherwise, right? <laughs> you know, it is so much work to clean before and after. Yes, right? Because you make such a mess when you're filming too. Okay, so I think we've covered editing pretty well. I got one more question for you about editing, I guess, and that is when you were editing your own shorts, how long did it take you to edit one short typically? About 10, 20 hours. About to, and it takes my editor the same amount of time. So you're probably thinking like, that's ridiculous. And it, it is. <laughs> it is a lot of time. And do you think most of that time is just figuring out like what to cut out? Because you said you talk for like an hour when you record. I mean, maybe you don't talk for an hour. You film for an hour, but you're talking for a lot of that time. So maybe if you scripted your videos first all the way, maybe your editor could spend like half the time. <laughs> Selects only take one hour max three hours and the rest of it is editing the rest of the video. So we spend a lot of time like nailing the story. So probably five hours would go into like making a good story and like making sure it actually resonates with the viewer. Because as funny as it sounds like, I think a lot of the time is spent because we're really focused on targeting our avatar and we're really thinking about what's actively going to make them laugh. And we're brainstorming a bunch of different things, a bunch of different jokes, a bunch of different things. Like we're very like, I feel like a um, broken record stating it, but like we really try to like become the avatar and like keep watching the video until we're like, why is this not funny? Why wouldn't this resonate with this person? It's because we really want it to resonate with the person. And we like, I bet you like probably two hours of that time is rewatching the video. And it's literally 30 seconds. Yeah, it's a good thing. It's only 30 seconds, right? <laughs> oh gosh, our long forms take 150 hours. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. How do you work together? I bet this is easier with the short form videos. I know with long form videos, it's really hard to work with an editor because this is just like a, a tech thing, but like the local video files on the computer when you're editing, typically, they don't all get uploaded to the cloud somewhere or something like that. Like I use Adobe Premiere, for example, and it's pulling them from local files so that you can render faster as you're editing. Like I said, I imagine that with short form, it's not as big an issue, but how do you work together with your editor? How do you collaborate on that? Well, we've actually worked on like at least 20 shorts together and also three long forms as well. 
So we've seen like no problems. I think the biggest thing is trust. Everything I say probably sounds so obvious. It's because like it is the obvious. If you hired a good person, right? You have to trust in them to do a good job. So it sounds funny, but I'll usually just like, I'll do the pre-production and film it. So pre-production and production, and I'll ship it out to him. And I just have to hope and pray and trust that it is going to come out good in post-production. He just, he handles everything. So um, basically if we need to do voiceover under something, say, let's say I didn't give enough context, he'll just do the voiceover. He knows. He also knows storytelling. So he'll rearrange it. I don't have to like, I really like don't have to do that much other than like give feedback afterwards, to be honest. So you don't both try to have your hands in the editing and collaborate that way. I used to want to, but he's he's a better editor than I am. It's crazy. Like <laughs> if you find someone who's better than you and you just trust them, you know, it just works out. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing when you can find that. That's like, I think one of the biggest challenges with scaling most of the time is finding people like, for example, I'm definitely not the best editor in the world, right? Like I know there's a gazillion people out there who are so much better than me, but just finding them is often so tricky. Yeah, it's crazy because what's ironic is I was actually, before YouTuber, I was a professional video editor and I actually did that like to actually like make money, which is Mm -hmm. like ironic. I'm like, I'm never going to find an editor better than me. This is what I do. And then I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I almost feel like I have the opposite problem where I don't feel like I'm that great at it aside from the storytelling aspect, the how I want to put it together, kind of that like creative intelligence. Okay, I'm good at that part, but then like my skills, like my hard skills when it comes to video editing, like doing motion graphics or something like that, not very advanced. So I'll have like a big vision in my head for the video, but I can't execute it. And so then I know there must be so many video editors out there who are so much better than me, but it can be really tough to find them because there's so many people who aren't very skilled at video editing, who market themselves as video editors, which is fine. I get that. But then it makes it really hard to find like the really good ones out of all the people who are marketing themselves as video editors. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. I'd rather have a video editor who has the vision and knows how to video edit than someone who has no vision and is like a crazy good motion graphics designer thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's the hard part is finding like the person who checks all the boxes, right? The person who has that creative intelligence and is a good storyteller and also has like the hard skills. Yeah, like even if they're not as good as like the other people, as long as they're diversified in their talents. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And just to be clear, when I say hard skills, I don't mean like the difficult skills. I mean, hard skills versus soft skills. So soft skills would be like that creative intelligence, right? Hard skills is like how to make the motion graphics or whatever. Okay. So once you've got your video back from your editor and it's time to post it, what are kind of the nuances that might make one short perform better than another? Is there YouTube SEO that you need to make sure you have configured properly for your shorts? In my opinion, no, especially not for shorts, given that like people aren't watching shorts by like going on search. Yeah, some people click on shorts through search, but like when people are searching things, usually they want to watch a long form. Shorts is primarily like, you know, the shorts feed, which is why SEO, like I don't really think matters for shorts, but also the YouTube algorithm is just like really good. And I believe in like hashtags, good descriptions and things like that on TikTok and Instagram. But on YouTube, like their AI, their algorithm is so good that it will do that metadata like for you in the back end. You know, it just it's just that good, to be honest. 
Yeah, I feel like that stuff matters less and less now that AI is so good that it's literally like instantly transcribing your video. It knows exactly what you're actually talking about in the video. So like if you hashtag it something you don't like to talk about in the video, like you're not going to trick the algorithm. I will say, though, that I think that people are more and more actually using search to find shorts. At least I've been doing this more and more. A lot of the time it happens because I've seen a short at some time in the past and I think like, oh, I want to watch that video again. You know, like it was maybe a tutorial or something. And so I'll search for it. And then other times like I'm searching for something and I just think I'll bet there could be a really short tutorial for this, whatever I'm trying to figure out. And so I'll scroll down to the short section on that page. So I think it's becoming more and more popular, but still, I don't think the metadata really matters because like you're saying, like YouTube is going to figure it out for you. And of course, the majority of shorts of views do come from people just scrolling. Couldn't agree more. You did talk earlier about how if you have multiple videos, like you were saying about your cooking videos, that you would try to maybe more carefully tag them there to get viewers from one video to a new video you've made. Is there any nuance there to how you try to configure that? Yeah. So I love that you mentioned that. But the primary thing I focus on is, for one, having a similar format and script, because like we were talking about, AI does transcribe the videos. So it does see that oh, this is following a very similar format. It's a very similar video. So I do it in that sense. But also I try to make the titles as similar as possible. So usually like it will have like the same words, but maybe like, let's say like episode one, episode two, or just like you replace it with the food item that you're making, just like keeping a, the same title but also, not for the algorithm, but also because the viewer, they'll probably run into the video and they'll be like, oh, this is the same thing as well, if they are to run into it. But yeah, that's the primary way. And I, I put them all into the same playlist as well. Oh, yeah. I'll bet that does help. I love how YouTube is now letting us link to the next episode of a short because previously people would do like episode one, episode two, or part one, part two, part three. And then you'd be like, how in the world do I find the next part? I want to know what happens. <laughs> but now it seems like YouTube is actually letting people link to the next part. So that's super helpful. Okay, and then let's move on to this last topic, which is learning and improving. So what are the analytics that you pay the most attention to? And then also, of those analytics, what do you do with that information? The number one thing that I'm actively paying attention to is retention graphs. Not retention percentage, but retention graphs. Because if you look at your retention percentage, you'll be like, Wow, I got 90%. Okay, next video. It's like, what do you even do with that? Versus if you have the graph, you'll see exactly where the viewers are leaving. And it actually tells you about the viewers' behaviors. So I would just like actively look at that to see where people are leaving, where people are staying, where people are rewatching. And I think you would see tenfold the improvements than any of the other things. You know, there's this law where it's like, you want to focus on the 10x things, not the 2x. So I think the retention graph is like how you can 10x improve and everything else is probably just going to result in 2x. So that's what I believe in. And I'll bet that that's a lot more useful when you're making a lot of videos with a similar format. And I bet it's also more useful and easier to utilize with the short form videos. Maybe you can speak to otherwise, like how maybe you've used this for your long form videos. But I know with my long form videos, 
each one is so different and follows a different structure and stuff. So if I analyze one past video and I'm like, oh, yeah, people dropped off right here. And I could think about like how I could change that for that video, but then it might not really apply to this new video I'm making that's on a completely different topic and has a different format and whatnot. So it seems easier to do with shorts. Have you been able to do it with your long form videos as well somehow? Yeah, we have analyzed all the graphs, but I think the primary problem is isolating variables. So you can say like, oh, that joke didn't land, but maybe it wasn't a joke. It could be that you stopped the music there. It could be that you showed something on screen that, I don't know, people left. There's so many variables and you can't isolate the variable to figure it out. So for that reason, I don't think you need to repeat the format. You just need to like have that mistake made multiple times so then you can kind of get a better feel for it. So like, for example, we saw like whenever the screen got slightly darker. So like whenever like the lights turned off or anything that's slightly darker or slightly less saturation, slightly less bright, like we'd always lose retention. And it's like, it becomes an obvious thing when you see it in like 20 videos. It's like, okay, at this point, like we don't need to isolate the variables, <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I guess that's part of what I mean with the long form videos is that there are so many variables, like the number of variables, I think, increases almost exponentially with the long form videos, because the reason I say this is not because like, there's so much more going on at any one given moment. Of course, we've kind of got all the same information with like the visual information and the auditory information. But the long form video, you have this variable of everything that happened before that point, which I think is one of the biggest factors of retention. So you see people drop off right at five minutes or something. Well, they didn't drop off right at five minutes just because of something you said right at five minutes. Like they had already decided that they were not going to stick around earlier in the video because it was too boring or something like that. For some reason, it wasn't keeping their attention. You'd lost them. And so then when you finally said that thing at five minutes that was just like completely fell flat or something, then they left, right? Yeah, like it was the final straw. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. With the short form video, like I said, you have like kind of all the same variables, except that because there's so much less time, there's less to potentially analyze. It's still like a mind boggling amount to analyze, right? Because there are so many different variables, like you're saying. But after 20 videos or so, you saw that pattern. Whereas with the long form videos, there's so much more information that happened before that moment where they dropped off that it becomes just like, almost impossible to analyze. Not quite impossible. You might see a trend, but it's a lot more difficult at least. Oh, totally. I think that's why the biggest thing is like to focus on like the real outlier things. Like in one of my long forms, I had a minute where I didn't lose like not even 1% retention. Like the retention held like just straight for one minute. And it's like, when you see something that's like really stands out, like, and this was on 200,000 views, by the way, like on 200,000 views, we didn't even lose 1% of retention. Like that's something we have to know. So I think like really paying attention across the board, like shorts and long form, like what are those like biggest moments that are like, this is definitely an outlier. Like there's something going on here. We need to look into this. Do you happen to remember what it was about that particular minute of the video that was so standout? Honestly, it's funny because like to me, I thought it was like incredibly boring, but I think it's because it was like the payoff of the video and the payoff was like not slow, but it was almost like really intense. Like basically in the video, I looked through like a bunch of old coins and I was like saying like, I think I have like a $2,000 coin. And in that one minute, it was like a professional like coin dealer looking through the coin. And he was like explaining like what it could potentially be. Maybe it's like fake, maybe it's real or what is it? And like the viewers like probably like on the edge of their seat, like is this quarter actually like 
$2,000. And even though it was like, I guess like you could say slow, like a whole minute, they were like still like, it's just, is this ridiculous thing true? Yeah. So you know what it was? It was like when there's like a game show or something. And at the end, they're like, and the winner is. And then they like, cut, cut, cut. You know what I'm talking about? Like American Idol or something. And the winner is. And you're like, come on, get with it. But you also never leave. Because you really want to know who, like, that's why you were there, right? Like, you've watched this whole thing. And you don't want to skip it just in case. Yeah, exactly. You want the moment when you like get to see their face or whatever and they find out they won. Yeah. So you're like waiting for the payoff. So you're patient. You're waiting for that payoff. You might be like kind of impatiently waiting, but you're waiting. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It was one of those moments. So there's one last thing I wanted to talk with you about today, Jenny. And if you don't want to talk about this, we don't have to, but I have a feeling you might be willing to, given the topic of your channel is about like making and saving money. Would you mind getting into the money of shorts and how profitable it's been? Yeah. So transparently, I make about like five to seven thousand dollars a month on YouTube ad revenue, like from shorts. And um, this is on like 60, 80,000 views a month. So it's not incredibly profitable in that sense. It's still something because I have an 11 cent RPM, but the real money is to be made on products for sure or other streams of income. So like I offer consulting and that's where like my primary source of income is. And I teach others how to grow their social medias, their businesses. And like in a two day weekend teaching what I know, I made $40,000 in two days. Wow. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. But then there's also brand deals. So um, I, I would definitely focus on like products and other external sources because the reach is insane. The reach is incredible. And for me, I'm averaging 10 million views per short. What brand wouldn't want to get like 10 million views? And it costs less than paying for a commercial in the Super Bowl. You're going to be shown for less time and you're paying less. I get the same views as the Super Bowl, but imagine a brand gets to pay like, what, like 100x less for the same views. It's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Would you be willing to share how much your brand deals are currently going for? How much brands are currently paying you for a feature? It depends on so many factors, as you know. Give us the high number. I would say the most they have paid is so much that I'm scared to say how much it was. (laughs) (laughs) but I will say brand deals like they have to at least be in the five figure range to work with me yeah that makes sense that gives the ballpark for people who are just like are we talking millions are we talking hundreds like five figure something right Yeah, yeah yeah I'd like to unpack the YouTube ad revenue just a tiny bit more you've been posting shorts on YouTube for about two years how long have you been posting the long form videos I actually started with long forms first. So I started making long forms two years ago. And then I was making like one to three minute long forms. And I'm like, this isn't even a long form. I should just make shorts instead. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've been making shorts for only a year and six months. Oh, okay. Interesting. And then I think you said, I thought you said 60 to 80,000 views per month, but it must be higher than that. Oh, no, I meant million. I meant million. Million. 60 to 80 million. That makes a lot more sense. Thank you. And then you're only earning, that's really interesting that you're only earning five to $7,000 per month, but it must be because most of your views are from shorts. Are you earning ad revenue from the shorts or only from the long form views? Oh, this is combined from shorts and long form. So usually I make about like one to $2,000 a month from long forms and then maybe like four or five from shorts. 
So that CPM must be just way lower because like that's a lot more views than I get on my long form videos. And yet that's like about the same amount of money I make, but I only make long form videos. So yeah, that's really interesting. But it's so awesome how like how many different ways there are to earn money on YouTube. Like we were saying kind of at the beginning of all of this, how YouTube is just such a great platform to be on for creators because of all of the opportunities it gives you and the way it like really enables you to be so in control of your brand and connect with your audience so well. And I think that what you're talking about here about like the opportunities for sponsorships and for partnerships and things like that is just one more way in which YouTube is great. Of course, you can do that on other platforms, but I think YouTube gives us more flexibility. Totally. I love YouTube. Okay. So to wrap this all up, Jenny, for anyone who maybe wants to learn more from you about YouTube shorts, well, let's start with how can they go watch your shorts? You can watch my shorts at Jenny Hoyos. My YouTube channel is called Jenny Hoyos. Yep. Just search Jenny Hoyos on YouTube. And then if someone was interested in possibly working with you, as you mentioned, you've been doing some consulting and things like that. How could they get in contact with you to find out more about that? Yeah. So feel free to email me at team at jennyhoyos.com. Okay. We'll try not to flood your inbox too bad, right? Oh no, flood it. <laughs> Please flood it. <laughs> well, Jenny, this has been amazing. An absolute masterclass in YouTube Shorts. Thank you so much for sharing everything with us about how to grow on YouTube Shorts. I've learned so much and I'm sure all the listeners have as well. I'm glad to hear it. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Okay. We'll call that a wrap. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Amazing. That was so fun. Have you been doing a lot of interviews lately? I have. Trying to market. Trying to market. What is your biggest goal with doing interviews? Is it to get views on your videos or to get consulting opportunities or something else? Definitely consulting. I love consulting. It's so much fun. And it's like probably like my, one of my biggest like sources of like, like income. Mm-hmm. And it's fun because, you know, it, it, you can get burned out doing your own content. But then when you yeah. like go into like other people's videos and start helping them, like it sounds funny. Like it also helps like rejuvenate me. Mm-hmm. I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah, I experienced that as well. It's like it gives you kind of a fresh perspective on things, I think, like a new problem to solve and helping others is always like sometimes more interesting, I think, than like trying to help yourself. Yeah, no, I love it. It's so much fun. What has your consulting been looking like? Are you mostly consulting with people on like the content itself or strategy or the editing aspect or like what have you mostly focused on? Yeah, so the... Primary thing I do is like get on a one hour consultation call and just like break down their channel strategy and also like give feedback like on their videos. So it's like primarily on like a video and channel strategy standpoint. But of course, it depends on like what their needs are. And then also for a couple of people, like I'll review their scripts and like revise scripts or so like they'll send me their video and then I would leave notes for their editor. Like there's a lot of different services, I guess you could say I offer, but yeah. 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 That makes sense. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Well, thank you again so much. This was fantastic. I know my audience is going to eat it up and I'm sure you will get a few emails from them as well. So thank you so much for your time. And I hope that we get the chance to connect again at some point. Amazing. Of course. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Work Less, Earn More. Now, here's what I want you to do next. Take a screenshot of this episode you're listening to right now and share it out on your Instagram stories. And when you do, make sure you tag me at Gillian Z Perkins so I can see you're listening. Sharing on stories is going to help more people find this podcast so they too can learn how to build their business in a way that allows them to work less and earn more. And if you really love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts right now and leave Work Less, Earn More a review to give it a boost and help even more people find it. Okay, let's wrap this up. I'm Gillian Perkins. And until next week, stay focused and take action.